You're listening to The Happiness Hub, part of the Redshift Community Podcast Network with me, Liz Parkin. And me, Kedron Elliott. Every episode, we'll share top tips on how to get happy and stay happy. So listen in, get involved and be happy. Hi, you're listening to The Happiness Hub podcast with me, Kedron. We've just kicked off our full series of the podcast all about hidden and chronic diseases and the impact that these can have on your mental health. And we've got some fab guests lined up for you this series and some familiar voices that you might have heard before on the podcast. And we're going to be covering conditions such as PCOS, inflammatory arthritis, MS, dyslexia, and mental health conditions like bipolar, amongst other conditions. And we're also looking at actively looking for guests who would like to share their own stories. So please do get in touch with me, Keds, at info at nantwitchbuddies.org. If you'd like to also visit our Happiness Hub podcast site or our page, you'll find a guest request form on there, which you can fill out and I'll get in touch with you once you fill the details out to just have a little bit of a chat about coming on the podcast. So please do get in touch with us. Um, We have a whole suite of different kind of conditions we're talking about, but always looking for other people to share their stories. We're also going to be getting um, some of the support groups that support people with these conditions to talk a little bit about the services that they offer as well. And also talking to some people about alternative therapies. Um, So maybe things like yoga. Yoga is a big thing that can help with people with certain disabilities or conditions as well, not only physically, but mentally. Um, And also some of the health, health food shops that are in the local area to talk about supplements that can help with these kind of conditions too. So if you anything in that sort of area or would like to talk about your story, please do get in touch with me. Um, We'd love to have you on the show as a guest. So without further ado, last week, um, I spoke to a friend and Swimming World consultant, Laura, about her condition, fibromyalgia. I knew Laura had suffered with the condition for some time, but it wasn't until I interviewed her last week that I really understood just how long she'd been suffering with the condition and exactly how long her diagnosis had taken. As a lot of people will know who's listened to the podcast previously, I've had my own uh, diagnosis of MS just this year and it took me about a year to get diagnosed and I think Laura speaks uh, about how it took her nine years to be diagnosed with hers and just also about how much it kind of impacted her Um, the battle that she had in making people understand what she had or getting answers to it because I don't think the condition was quite as well known or spoken about um, when she was originally diagnosed and how it impacted her mental health too. So I want to say a massive thank you to Laura for coming on and talking so candidly about her experience of living with fibromyalgia and about her diagnosis experience, also about talking about the condition from it being unknown to being a lot more talked about nowadays um, and also during a time when she was which when she first had it really not knowing what it was and having to deal with medical professions who who perhaps didn't know what it was either or didn't even know that it was a, a true condition so we'll get on to the, uh, to the interview Right, so we are here on our second episode of our fourth series, which I can't believe it, we've we've got so far down the line, halfway through the year, um, of the Happiness Hub podcast. And as I said in our introduction last week, we will be uh, introducing you to some familiar voices on the podcast. So this week we have got Laura joining us today. And Laura, you've been on the podcast before, so it's lovely to have you back on. Thank you for agreeing to be a guest again. 
Thank you very much for having me again. <laughs> That's quite all right. How are you doing and what have you been up to since we last spoke? Oh, sorts of things. yeah. What what haven't I been doing? Um, well, obviously, my, my first edition, so to speak, with you was all about Slimming World. So I am like a Slimming World stick of rock. So pretty much all to do with that. Actually meeting friends and family for probably the first time in 14 oh, yeah. odd months, which is a frequent thing when you ask people what they've been up to lately as well isn't it yeah so yeah just all of that really helping my members getting out and about in their local community in Congleton um eating a lot sleeping a lot and yeah um just meeting up with friendly faces I haven't seen how is your slimming world groups going on now have you reopened properly now and inviting people back in face to face yes oh it's so exciting yeah so um my Thursday group in Congleton we are at Asprey Village Hall at the moment so we're doing shorter sessions at the moment so we do like a 15 minute way half an hour group just so you know everyone's in the room a shorter amount of time and then we've got 15 minute cleaning buffer area where we can get one group safely out and one group safely in but fingers crossed we're waiting for Boris to do his announcement on the 14th as I'm sure the nation yes everybody is (laughs) (laughs) so we're we're hoping then that if we get in the green light from the I think it's the 21st week after we might be able to go back to uh, some form of what groups used to be like Mm. during beginning of 2020 before all of this craziness kicked off which will be really exciting yeah I mean I was still going to Slimming World in kind of in between lockdowns when you briefly opened up in between the things happening before we all got sent back back home for Christmas but it, it wasn't quite the same I know like you said you've got the reduced times and but we couldn't do Slimmer of the Week and you couldn't do the raffle and things and that's one of the things I always like to go um, to Slimming World for is some sort of free food <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah, sense. I love I love free stuff. Love free stuff. <laughs> love a good raffle. Love I just love getting into group and being like, oh, what's the consultant got for the raffle this week? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that intrigue and that mystery has gone a little bit, hasn't it? But do you know what? We might get it back if Boris says yes on the 14th. I do hope so. So my f- fingers crossed for you so you can get all your members back and, and continue to help them losing weight. So the reason we've asked you back on this series, Laura, is to talk about hidden and chronic illnesses. So we've known each other for some time now, and um, you've been quite candid about talking about your own condition, which is fibromyalgia. So if people are listening today and they didn't really know what it is, can you tell us a bit about what the condition is and, and how it kind of affects you from day to day? Yeah, yeah, of course I can. So the the easiest way to explain what fibromyalgia is, is really it's a long-term chronic condition that affects every person in such a different way. But how they diagnose it is widespread pain all over the body. Mm-hmm. So it's when they kind of test for all of the normal things like, well, I say normal, but arthritis, you know, anything that can kind of be picked up in a test, mm-hmm. um, MS, ME, um, any sort of spinal conditions, they give you x-rays and cameras and all sorts. And fibromyalgia is quite frustrating because you can have all these tests and be poked and prodded and everything comes back normal. So it's quite um, an unknown condition. And I, I'm 32 now. 
And when I was 23 was when I was finally diagnosed, but I had actually, we think we had had it since I was about 14. So quite some time from when I first started experiencing symptoms to when I was diagnosed and I'd got no clue at all. And it started when I was a teenager and I got really bad back pain, like so bad that I couldn't get out of bed in the morning. Now, my my family, obviously, teenager, and I was I was quite overweight at the time throughout high school as well. And I was bullied for my weight. So, you know, you can really understand why my parents and grandparents may well have thought that she probably doesn't want to go to school because she's being bullied. Mm-hmm. And I was very, very honest with them. And I was saying, you know, I know that's a fact. And yeah, it doesn't make school great. But that isn't the reason why I can't get out of bed today. It isn't that I just want to stay home and play on the computer or watch TV. I'm in so much pain and I'd just be in bed all day. Um, and sleeping was the only sort of way I could cope with it. Um, that's still not stopped today either. I sleep like a, a very, very tired toddler. <laughs> <laughs> so I do sleep um, a hell of a lot, really. I'm, I'm kind of either awake and chatty or I'm asleep so yeah I'm, I'm very much like a, a no, crazy toddler. <laughs> no there isn't I'm either on or off um so yeah it's you get increased sensitivity to pain extreme tiredness and fatigue you can get muscle stiffness difficulty sleeping but also excessive sleeping as well and, and just not getting restful sleep so, you know, if anyone's listening and they feel like I do and they're like, oh, I've slept for 10 hours and I still don't feel refreshed. Mm-hmm. I feel I wake up, you know, yawning for the first four hours of the day and I'm so tired. That's often um, a symptom. There's also um, this is my favorite symptom. Um, it's kind of issues with mental processes so it's often called fibro fog which Mm. this is my favorite one because um anybody who knows me yourself included will know that I am brilliant at mashing my words up and not being able to think of words and I, I cope nowadays using my very own brand of sign language so you know people who know me I start describing things like we're playing a bit of a game of Pictionary or you know oh, yeah <laughs> Um, but I tell you what, it works really well because, you know, once you've known me for a while, you can guess what word I'm trying to find. <laughs> yeah. So you get headaches as well. And something that is really, really common that is linked to having fibromyalgia is IBS, so irritable bowel syndrome. So it can cause quite a lot of digestive issues. So from diarrhea to really severe constipation as well. So it's it's quite varied and the only way that you can kind of get diagnosed is by having everything else ruled out so mine affects me on a daily basis I have everyone has sort of like an area where the pain stems from mm-hmm. mine is in my lower back so not a lot of people might be aware but in your lower back you've got like four pain sensors that are all across your lower back and my two central ones that are either side of the base of my spine are 
jammed to the on position, which means they think for whatever reason um, that there is a high alert of pain. And if I even just touch my lower back lightly, I get a lot of pain. Now, if I do too much and by that, I can mean just it can be just walking. It can be doing too much mentally. So even if I'm doing like office based tasks and, and, you know, just using a computer, if I do too much of that and I'm feeling quite drained and exhausted, what starts to happen is the pain sensors that are on are on for so long that they basically start poking the one next door to it going, hello, why, why are you not on? Because I'm on. So there must be a danger. So why, why aren't you on? Because if I've been on this long, you must be affected too. So then that one kind of goes, oh, right, I must be on as well then. Right, okay. And it just carries on like that. And that's the only way that the pain management clinic that I've been to um, has kind of explained how and why the pain can spread. Mm. so does, my, it, does it feel like that to you can you feel like it step starts in that area and you can feel it spreading yeah yeah it's it's really um it's really strange so you can't kind of feel it in like blocks sort of thing but you can you can feel that the more you keep pushing to be normal I guess and and achieve what a normal average person would be able to do in a day you can just feel the pain spreading and it, it changes and it can morph. It can, like my actual pain when you, I press it, like now on my lower back, it's just very, very tender. Whereas when it starts to spread, it makes my whole lower back like ache and pulsate. It can then go up into my neck, but in my neck, it's more really stiff. Um, and shooting pains up the back of my head which is why then you can get really bad headaches Um, and I get a lot of trapped nerves as well which is probably the worst of all of the things I can think of if anyone listening has ever had a trapped nerve they are horrific and it's difficult to know how to manage these sorts of things so I've been from a young age you know going to the GP seeking help advice whatever that might be and it all stemmed from this back pain so originally when I was younger I was prescribed high doses of ibuprofen for anti-inflammatories and they took the edge off but they didn't really do anything so over the years I've kind of just gone back and said it's still not right and I'm experiencing all these other symptoms but you begin to get to a point where when each test comes back and it's negative and everything's normal and everything's fine, your blood tests come back fine. I've had x-rays and everything's fine on that. And you have all these cameras and everything's normal. You begin to kind of distrust the process a little bit, but also distrust yourself because you kind of think if a professional is telling me that there is nothing on paper wrong with me. Maybe it is all in my head. Maybe I am just making it up. Is that possible? And you get stuck in this really horrible territory of not knowing where to go, what to do, who to turn to, who who can you really speak to about it? Because I remember... 
um, when I finally got my diagnosis at 23, that was through me being so poorly. I had probably about three weeks solid off from my, my full-time job at the time. And that actually led to me essentially being let go from that role because of how poorly I was all the time. And you, you get to be known as unreliable. And something that I have really had to take on board is that it isn't that I'm unreliable, it's that my pain this is unreliable. And I think that is a biggie because you can get a lot of guilt and a lot of negative emotions about yourself, which I know we were talking before about, you know, how does it affect you mentally as well? And I think that even trying to get a diagnosis is hard work, both physically and mentally. And you get to a point where you think, do you know what? I just can't even be bothered trying to find out it's, what this is. It's anymore. a guilt thing as well, isn't it? Especially if you're going through all of this physical pain and things. I mean, how long would you say that it took you to get diagnosed? Like you obviously had this stuff going on when you were a teenager, but when did you actually start the process of going to the doctors and finding out? when did that start until you got diagnosed how long was that period it it did begin when I was 14 really up until I was 23 so obviously that's like nine nine years yeah of of going to different tests GPs different people uh being referred to physios and, and all sorts and not really getting anywhere but obviously in that there will have been periods of me kind of pulling back and thinking I'm just going to try and deal with it. So I'm like, well, right, I'll just see how it goes. But I I can't really remember. It was a long time, though. I'd say probably a good year from when I lost my job because of it. It was very much like I was already in such a low place because I'd essentially been in bed with no, no quality of life, so to speak, for probably a good three, four weeks. Um, and then to be told that, you know, you're unreliable and you're getting let go from a job that you you love and, you know, that a normal average 23 year old to be, you know, to be feeling like you can't even get up and make a cup of tea or get yourself breakfast um, is really hard. So I knew at that point. I was kind of like, this, this isn't normal. Yeah, there's, there's I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm fed yeah. up of people kind of saying there isn't anything wrong. And I'd kind of come full circle and, and been through that kind of, I guess it's almost like a grieving process. You know, you're in shock and you accept things and then you question things and then you get angry and you get sad and, and then you get kind of that anger and defiance about you like no this this isn't fair and this isn't right and and I think it was that that really spurred me on to you know push further Mm -hmm. um and when I finally got my diagnosis I think the the worst part about it because I'm talking years ago now it was so misunderstood and unknown at that point I'd never heard of it before um anyone I've spoken to hadn't got a clue what it was and even the GP said to me when I went back, you know, when you've been to your specialist test, you go back to your GP mm-hmm. and they talk about your test results. And I remember really vividly this GP saying to me, it's come out that, you know, we feel that you've got this thing called fibromyalgia and they explained what it is. 
And essentially they said, you know, it's widespread pain, but there's no reason for it. However, I feel really reluctant to actually write it on your record. And I was like, why? Like, I finally got a diagnosis. I was, you know, quite relieved. And he was like, well, if I do, that that's pretty much it for life. Anything you ever come in for now will be put down to fibromyalgia. And I was like, are you telling me that if I come in with, you know, a paper cut, they'll just be like, oh, well, the pain's going to be down to that. And he was like, yeah, pretty much. He said, because it's so misunderstood, it, it can be anything. And I just remember thinking, I don't think that's very helpful. No, not helpful at all. <laughs> no. I mean, is that something that you have experienced? I mean, I know we're talking nine years ago now, and I was kind of aware of it before you told me you had it, but I didn't really know what it was. Did, have you experienced that in through those nine years where you've had something wrong with you and, it, and they've just gone, oh, yeah, it's your fibro and sent you on your way? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think especially in those, like, first few years that was diagnosed, mm. And I think, again, it was sort of just because no one, even the GPs and specialists, didn't really know a lot about it. And I think that fibromyalgia almost used to seem like a belief, like some medical professionals believed in it right. and others categorically thought it was a bit of a farce. Um, and you could tell from how somebody reacted with you as to which category they fell in with and I found that some specialists and some people were so helpful like incredibly bent over backwards because they knew that you will have had to fight so hard to get to that point to even get a diagnosis at that point um, but also because they appreciated that they knew some of their peers in the field that didn't even acknowledge it existed and kind of sighed a bit if if you walked into a room and you got it on your paperwork. So that was really frustrating. But, you know, now, nowadays is, is so, so much better. But even now, I find that from my personal experience, I am still quite frustrated in the treatment that I do get. Um, I know quite a lot of people with fibromyalgia that, thank goodness you know everyone that I've spoken to has managed to get a diagnosis and everyone's experience is so different you know some people have been diagnosed within months because they've had a really excellent health professional that really knew their stuff and other people have been like me and have struggled for for years and years and I think it is kind of almost like that postcode lottery thing you know it really is who you get on the day and Sometimes I'll go to my GP and, and say about pain and I just get tablets thrown at me. Mm. And I was at one point I was on quite a lot of medication and I've got, well, my mom, she has rheumatoid arthritis and she's got so many other things. She's uh, one of these people I, I always joke with her and say, you know, you're supposed to like stamp collect rather than collect illnesses. Mm. And we have a bit of a joke about it because do you know what? When somebody's at call, it's really the only thing you can do. Yeah, yeah. And I've seen from her experience, one tablet can cause other symptoms for more medication, more medication, and then causes something that is completely irreversible 
And actually, probably the the benefits of that initial medication didn't really weigh up with the risks. So I've been very aware of that and stuck in that that moment when you're in such pain. I was willing to try anything. So my GP was, you know, let's try this, let's try this. And I was like, you know, I'll try anything. Um, And then I got referred to the pain management clinic. And I remember speaking to this lady and she said, do they actually work? And you know what? No one had ever asked me that before. Like I'd just gone back to my GP and they'd said, how are you feeling? Still in more pain. So they just up your dose, up your dose, up your dose. Not, is it actually working at all? Uh, versus the side effects it can give you. And this lady just said, if it isn't working, don't take them. So what she did is she come up with a really brilliant thing where she said, right, you're on that dose, take it for a week, come down a dose and keep track of, you know, any symptoms or how you're feeling. And I got to a point where I was off all medication and my pain levels were exactly the same as when I was on this cocktail of drugs and I just thought what what was that doing to my body in addition to what I got but I also get that so many people are so fearful of being in more pain if they stop the medication that that thought is terrifying but I didn't know the answer and I'm all up for giving it a change I thought you know what even if for a week I'm in more pain I can just go straight back up but I know other people that are on so many different ones. It'd be hard to know where to start. Um, And especially if they haven't had somebody ask them that question, you can see why everyone's in a a much different place, really. Um, But even now I'll go to the doctors and have a trapped nerve, for instance, and I just get given tablets, but tablets just mask the pain. They don't, And even then, they don't really do anything. So I know now um, through research, talking to other people that have had fibromyalgia, that um, I've got a really, really good osteopath in Congleton who is absolutely amazing. And when I have a trapped nerve, I know to bring her straight away. She gets me in and whatever magic she does, it works. And I think for everyone with fibromyalgia, it's all trial and error. Does it work for me? Does it not? If it does, keep doing it. And if it doesn't, stop and try something else. Yeah, we, we talked a little bit about this. And I think it's very common with a lot of people who get who go to doctors with any, with any sort of condition that you'll get the pills thrown at you. Um, but something you just said there made me think about it. It's like it's treating the cause. And we've talked about this in some of our nutrition um, podcasts as well, about treating the cause, not the symptoms. Because if you're going in pain and they're giving you painkillers, it's treating that symptom, but not the actual cause of the pain. Yeah. So if somebody's listening now, I mean, like you say, it, it's moved a long way. It, it took nine years for you to get that proper diagnosis and fibromyalgia it's a, a bit more recognized and people more familiar with it now but I, I think there's probably still a lot of work to be done in addition to like going to the osteopath and things what else have you personally done that's really helped you with your symptoms um that's a really interesting thing to ask actually because with me having it for so long before I got a diagnosis mm. it was really fascinating because when I it, when I was I think I was 24 when I first got referred to the pain management clinic 
And I remember going and seeing this lady and she asked me all these questions about my pain and, and what I would do in that situation. And at the end, she basically said, do you know what? There isn't anything I can do to actually help you. She said, because you're so in tune with your body that you've learned how to manage your own pain. She said, normally I'd be suggesting these things. So for me, when I was younger, I learned very, very quickly that when my back was in its worst state of pain, it was very hot to the touch. So I'm quite intuitive. I'm like, if something's hot, you need to cool it down. Um, And especially if it's inflammation. So I used to put like ice packs on my back. Whereas if it was sort of the the starts of an ache or a pain, like I get a lot of pain um, in my hands now, but it's sort of, you know, when you've been on a really long walk and your legs are just achy, it's that sort of feeling I get in my hands. So um, I've heard a lot of people talk about uh, paraffin wax treatments. I've never had one myself, but something that I do is I just have my hands on a hot water bottle because I know that it, it eases the pain, the warmth. Yeah. Hot baths work as well. So soaking in a hot bath. You still need really... to podcast in the bath. That's what you said last yes, time. About exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I do. I listen to the happiness hub whilst I'm soaking in the bath, giving myself a bit of TLC. <laughs> So no, no strange images, anybody. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's thinking, isn't it? What is it that's going to work for you? And I think that, like we were saying before about the the mental health side of things as well, it's thinking about what works for you too. So I know for me, I can get really sort of angry and upset with myself. And obviously, we all feel sorry for ourselves when we're in pain. And it's a natural reaction and, and I guess it's learning we've spoke before about being kinder to yourself that is something I do find really challenging so I find focusing on positives so listening to the happiness hub okay. podcast <laughs> listening to you know music that makes me feel happy mm-hmm. talking to friends that make me feel happy or when I'm feeling like no one in the world understands, I tell you what, social media has a lot to answer for, but it is also a great way of being in touch with people you would never otherwise have a way of being in contact with. So I would say for anyone listening that's got any sort of condition, whether it's MS like yourself, whether it's fibromyalgia like me, arthritis, even if you're celiac or, you know, dairy-free, searching on Facebook, Instagram, whatever your favourite platform is for support groups, I found really helpful because not only can you get help and advice from other people that know how it feels, potentially may have dealt with it for longer than you or even a shorter period of time, but I've had a really good health professional that suggested something that's really worked. You can get advice and that helps, but not just that. I find it helps to put your own position in perspective as well. Because I'm sure you can definitely resonate with this. Anyone listening that has experienced any form of pain ever, When you are experiencing pain, even if somebody is speaking to you that describes worse pain, 
because you can't feel that you have no idea what that feels like and all you can think about and know for sure is how you're feeling and you quite, can quite often think that it's never going to get any worse but sometimes it absolutely can and in that moment you really do feel so awful and so sorry for yourself that it can be hard to pull your big girl pants up and be able to make yourself breakfast or you know get out of the door and be able to do normal things like normal people do like brush your hair because my god with fibromyalgia brushing your hair can hurt so sometimes I might look like an absolute tramp sorry not sorry (laughs) but when you start reading about other people's experiences I find it helps to ground me And I think, do you know what? As awful as I feel, at least I'm lucky in a way. You know, there's always somebody worse off than you. And I always try and remind myself of that, but also offer them some sort of support. And I think sometimes you can think, oh, well, if that person's had the condition longer, there's nothing I can say to them that will be able to help them. But just because they've had the condition longer doesn't mean that they've had the same experiences as you. So I think everybody's sharing. It's like, I don't know if this works or if you've tried this, but this has worked for me if you give it a go. If they are, fair enough. But if you don't offer that support and that outlet, it can, you know, it could be the one thing that could help somebody. So I think that's definitely something I would really encourage people to do is talk to friends, talk to family, talk to health professionals, but also push. If you get a test result that comes back as negative or okay or fine, and you don't feel fine, don't blame yourself. Don't think that you're imagining it. Push and go back and say, but I still don't feel right. What's next? Is there somewhere else to go from this? And seek support from other places as well, people that you would never normally talk to, because that together, all of that combination, I think gives you the physical support, but also the mental support as well. I think, especially, particularly you, I thought I had a long diagnosis, but hearing your story about it being nine years is a lot longer, but you you do, like you said, question yourself, especially if you go to healthcare professionals, and, and you said this earlier about going to see, see your GP. They're a general practice and they're not specialising in anything. They're seeing people on the, so many different sort of conditions. It's hard to get them to know exactly what you're kind of going through. But when I got diagnosed and re, I'm reading a bit about fibromyalgia before, before we had uh, this meeting today, it seems there's lots of similarities between the two conditions and it can be different, like you say, for, for, for different people. Yeah. The symptoms can be so different. And when I got diagnosed with MS, I spoke to quite a few people and they said, oh, I've got a friend or a family member who's got it. Um, They're very happy to talk to you about it, to share their experiences. And that I found really helped me because you're talking to somebody who doesn't think you're bonkers. And that absolutely gets it because they've gone through something maybe similar, not identical to you. But also I found, and this is why I did a bit of a fundraiser last year, that um, like you say about finding communities on, on Facebook, So one of the uh, charities that I uh, found, um, and it was one that helped me choose my treatment going forward as well, what the MS nurses spoke to me about, was the MS Trust. 
and they have multiple Facebook groups if you're taking part in a fundraiser, if you're just a newly diagnosed. They've got podcasts on there. They did a whole series of podcasts about people who were diagnosed during lockdown, similar to me. And I found that really useful. So um, I had a quick look on the website. And there's a couple of um, charities, uh, in particular in the UK, because there's a lot to do with US. Uh, there was one called Fibromyalgia Action UK and UK Fibromyalgia. And I bet your bottom dollar they got Facebook pages and stuff that, that, that they went to. But there was anything in particular, like any kind of specific groups or you're the sort of person who would find people in your area that's got fibromyalgia, particularly obviously for your, your, your swimming world stuff, because people yeah. can find you there, where you created your own little network of people. Um, not, I wouldn't say like on purpose. Uh, I haven't kind of like created my own little, you know, fibro warriors group. Um, but um, yeah, I think, I think it is so much more well known now, and uh, not even well known. I think it's just more accurately diagnosed. It's like you know when people say, "Oh, no one, you know, had this amount of cancer diagnosis fifty years ago," and it's like, well, that's unfortunately because we didn't know the symptoms we didn't know about it so that's why people's life expectancy is longer now because we found things to you know work through it so I think I initially just typed in fibromyalgia on Facebook and in all honesty I think I'm in every single UK group (laughs) that that doesn't Um, surprise me (laughs) yeah yeah and I think like you said, fibromyalgia is massive in the US. Um, and I think they, they've probably led the field on it. And it was probably the fact that they knew more about it more quickly. They did more studies on it. Um, they probably, you know, they've got a bigger population, so it's probably more frequent. So they were more likely to do studies on it. So the first thing that I did very quickly was quickly exited the US groups because there's quite a lot of medications treatments and things that maybe aren't available in this country you wouldn't know where to go um and it's kind of like them speaking a bit of a different language so i found myself probably wasting more of my time reading things i had no clue about um but also spending a lot of time doing one activity is something that causes me quite a lot of pain so if i'm scrolling on my phone even holding my phone is really painful for my hands so I have to switch from maybe the phone to the laptop so it's uh it's just finding what groups work for you but also finding ways of coping as to how you can access this information because I know um acquaintances that have got fibromyalgia that would definitely say that they they cannot use a mobile phone because their pain is you know that high but also I know people that say they can't sit at a good angle or get comfortable in any position to be able to use a laptop. So there might always be a blocker for getting support or help. And I think that when you're in a lot of pain, it's very, very easy to see all of the no's and the negatives and the roadblocks and the there's no turn. But I think... Uh, like we were talking before we were recording about actually thinking about it as your superpower. And yeah. I, I honestly, when you said that, it, it it couldn't have resonated more with me because I would definitely say through having this condition, I am far more creative. I think far more outside of the box. And if somebody says, this is what we're going to be doing. And I think, 
there's no way I could do that. Or, oh, that's going to hurt. Like how I think, right, what could I do? And it's just, you know, things that maybe an average normal person wouldn't even think about, you know, even like taking a cushion with you if the seat hurts or, you know, making a bit of a joke about it. And I'm like, right, I'm like princess and the pea. I need as many pillows as possible because if there's a pea on that chair, I'm going to feel it. <laughs> it's like my go-to is to have fun with it. And I think that is why a lot of people would look at me and, and think there is absolutely nothing wrong with her. And like you said, you know, people might look at you and think that there, there's nothing behind there. You know, it's cads and she's funny and, and you know, happy-go-lucky. And it's like, well, it's really easy to pretend that you're okay as well. And I think a lot of people aren't aware of that. And I am. I'm, I'm a bugger for that. I definitely always put my best foot forward. And I know you've had that experience with me in the past where I'm all bubbles and giggles and go, 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 go. <laughs> But then I will, you know, switch the computer off and I'm like, right, okay, yeah. and I'll need to rest. So, yeah, I don't think there's there's any particular groups, I can say, um, but finding which ones are talking about the things that are most important to you. Some will be more medication-based, some will be more coping-based, and some will be more support-based and just having a general chit-chat or diagnosis-based um, but also finding your own way of how to get that support and how you can do things is probably my best advice as well. And, and I think you're right about just generally talking about it. And I mean, I think probably a lot of people who do have these sort of conditions don't want to bore all their friends and family about talking about it all the time. <laughs> yeah. But I think just generally talking about it because like you say, sometimes it's like the elephant in the room and people are not sure how to approach it. But it's nice to talk about it to other people, to raise that awareness, to let people that it's kind of know, know that it's OK, but also just to feel like that you can talk about it rather than having to hide it under a bushel. And I think that's a bit of a British way as well. I think that's also yeah. something to do with our kind of makeup as being being in the UK. Definitely. Um, but just talking about it, whether whether it's a physical thing or a mental thing. And again, mental health, you've got to talk about it because bottling it up just doesn't do you any favours. Um, I know we talked a lot about the physical kind of the pain pain side of it but in terms of like kind of your mental health you, you touched upon it a few things because going through that whole diagnosis process and encountering uh, professional people who don't even believe that fibromyalgia is thing must have been like devastating soul destroying when you you kind of lost your um your job and things how did you keep yourself on that positive track and keep going in all honesty I didn't right back then oh I can feel myself getting upset already just thinking about it but no no don't worry but it is so it is so hard because like those times in your life we've all got times in our lives where things go wrong but when you're trying to get to the bottom of them and there's no answers and people are telling you that you're fine when you're not you do you do genuinely think that Am I am I making this up? Like, am I going crazy? And I think to I'm I'm quite um, an ambitious, uh, creative person, and I love to I love to help people. I love to do things. And both of my parents are really very very 
active people like my dad I, I can't even remember the last time he had a day off in in the 32 years I am alive like my mum is always that person that she'll do that extra thing even when she has got quite and this isn't me being biased one of the most severe cases of rheumatoid arthritis I have ever seen even when they go to the pain management clinic for her and they've taught me to always no matter how you're feeling, kind of push through and, and keep going. But there are always days when I couldn't keep going and I didn't know what the answer was. And I can't tell you the amount of days I have had just feeling like there's there's no point. There's just, do you know what? Um, especially when I was 23, losing my job, finishing my degree in um, last design was amazing. But even when I was doing that course, I'd got my tutors effectively um, accusing me of, of just being lazy and uninterested in doing the course and coming up with excuses as to why I didn't want to be in. And nobody listens, like actively listens. And I'd say how much pain I was in and trying to, when you're cold working glasswork, it's all done with cold water. Now, with fibromyalgia, you can be very sensitive to temperatures and cold can make your pain increase and it can cause stiffness and actually longer term pain. So, again, I didn't know that at the time. I just thought my hands were hurting and everybody else's hands hurt. But I'd see other people cold working glass for like five hours at a time and I'd be like, how are they doing that? Now I know why, Mm. because I had an underlying condition. But trying to deal with that negativity from outside and trying to keep yourself in a positive frame of mind is impossible. As much as you can try, there will come a time when somebody will just put the cherry on top of the cake and all of a sudden the whole cake that you've been hiding, it's like the iceberg analogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can only see a little bit of it, but you're hiding all that stuff under the surface. I have absolutely exploded Um, and it might be in public because you just, do you know what, I just can't deal with this anymore and sometimes I'll always try and and keep that private because I don't want to drag people down, I don't want to get upset in front of people because it isn't their problem and it isn't their fault and their lack of understanding, it, it isn't their fault, I didn't know about it before and it's only something very close to my heart because I experience it on a daily basis so I have in my life I have felt suicidal on more than one occasion I have struggled mentally and I think that's something that needs to be spoken about because people don't talk about that side of things and you can understand how easy it would be to feel like that when you've had years of people not listening yeah 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 so it's been hard um but equally when you finally get a diagnosis and when you find ways of managing it and you find that hey trap nerves they hurt like hell but there is a way of getting around that pain and talking to people and hearing the treatments that they've tried that you've never heard of if you go and find out about them and give them a whirl but I know for me it was always I can't afford that as well 
And that is a huge burden that I find with many people that suffer with disabilities is they can't afford the treatment that might help them. Mm-hmm. And a really another hard thing for me during this whole journey has been I've never thought that I've been entitled to additional help or support or anything like that money-wise but um, through caring for my mum and then realising that I got to a point where my mum was so poorly and needing so much additional care that I couldn't cope doing my part-time role at the time as well as managing my condition as well as helping her. Um, I actually went to seek help through the social services I got to breaking point and I just said to them, you know, I can't cope and it's not fair. My mum's not got a quality of life and and I now don't feel what I do either. All I do is get up and do my one day of work and the rest of the week I am paying for it. And I've got no social life. I think at that point I was probably about 27, 28 and I'd got my one Slimming World group and it was the only thing that probably kept me going at the time because I was making a difference to other people and I was helping other people in a position where they felt like they hadn't got the answers and they felt in the worst possible place for them in their lives with their weight. I knew at least I could help somebody and that, you know, I might feel a bit stuck at the moment, but there's got to be someone out there that can help me get through this too. So But I actually got to the point of being offered the opportunity to apply for personal independence payment. And I think it's quite a, even today, it's still a very, very grey area for people with fibromyalgia or invisible illnesses. In general, I think it's still a little bit of a grey area. It's like a black art trying to apply for that being successful. Yeah, Yeah, it is. Even when you have got a very well-catalogued form of disability that's very visible and your limits are very you know apparent you are still very very penalized so I was very obviously from years of not being believed and people saying that I was just being lazy and I was faking it and there was another reason and not being heard I just remember saying to the person at the advice bureau I was like nobody's going to believe me like even even my own parents didn't believe the pain I was in when I was 14 and my own GP and my own specialists didn't know and didn't believe me when you know I was 23 27 so there's no way that a panel of people that aren't believing people with physical disabilities are going to believe me and my situation and you know my pain levels and the way it affects me And and I was right because I had to fight tooth and nail for it. And I didn't want to. Every stage of the way, I was thinking, they're right. I'm I'm not worthy of this extra support because there are people worse off than me. But thankfully, I'd gone and got support from the Citizens Advice Bureau. And they kept saying, but they don't have the right to say that you are not in pain. They can't dispute that. And as long as you're being truthful and you are just showing them how your disability affects you, what pain it causes you, that should be good enough. And and eventually I did get it. And at the moment, just these last four weeks, 
I have been to see my osteopath every week for the past four weeks. Now, that is expensive. I'm not going to lie. And if I didn't have that additional support money-wise, I wouldn't be able to afford the treatment that I need, which would mean I couldn't afford to continue to work. But the one thing they say is, but personal independent payment isn't to help you to stay and work. And I've had specialists even say to me, give up your job, give up your career and just go on benefits. If you want the support, that's what you've got to do. And I think it's so wrong. It's not the right way around, is it? No, it isn't. And when you go to the job centre, nowadays they talk about, right, let's not look at what you can't do. Let's look at what you can do. So even for people with, you know, severely mental disabilities, with special needs, I think it's fantastic because they don't, you know, write everyone off because they know everyone's individual. And they look at, you know, what are you good at? Because everyone with a disability or special need, just because they can't do it like it's written in a textbook, doesn't mean that they won't flourish in a different avenue or in a different thing they've we've all got our own like you say superpower we've all got that thing that we're really really very good at that the average person probably isn't and I think that you know looking at the the job search kind of thing that's brilliant what what actually lets the process down is then when you do finally get the job employers you know I get that as an employer You don't want an unreliable employee that's going to phone you and say, I'm in too much pain to come into work. So where where does the boundary lie with that? And, you know, businesses have needs and and I get that too. So I know if I didn't have the role that I have now, uh, which is self-employed and flexible, there'd be absolutely no way that I could hold down a job because since I was 23, I have lost every job. I have been in because I can't cope doing a nine to five sort of daily job and be an adult and do things that adults need to do to survive and have a quality of life because Mm -hmm. I get to a point where my body just gives up and I just can't and I'm in so much pain I end up in a flare up and I just can't get out of bed and and you know what at that point I do have to throw the towel in and say I can't do this you've got you've got to listen to your body I mean yeah you're your own your own personal expert on on how you feel and what what you can and can't do yeah um I know we're kind of coming towards the end of the podcast but I know one thing that you you are passionate about and you did want to talk about and it was actually something one of the reasons that I joined Slimming World is because I'd been diagnosed with fibroids and they told me that if I lost weight that it would it would help with the symptoms so yeah. I know you're passionate about something world. Like you say, if you cut you down the middle, you'd have something <laughs> world straight through it. Oh, yeah. But uh, there has been a lot more stuff in the press recently about people being obese and the more susceptible they are to getting COVID and things. But losing weight and having a healthy diet, and we've talked about our anti-inflammatory diet in our podcast before, is something that can really help you with your symptoms. And even you thought at first that it wouldn't. But just tell us a little bit about how it's helped you and yeah I um, realize I was when I was 23 and I was finally diagnosed with fibromyalgia I was 18 stone 11 and at that point I was finding 
all of these different symptoms like my my ankles and my feet would swell up so much that I couldn't even get my shoes back on uh, to go to work the next day so hence why I would have to call in sick because I can't walk to work um with no shoes on um and I always used to think that it was my the, my weight that was causing all of these myriad of different symptoms but now looking back on it um it is it is my fibromyalgia and it, it was all to do with that however I never realized that my weight was directly making my symptoms of the condition worse as well so I probably didn't realize this until I'd actually lost the weight that I'd lost so I got down to 12 stone so I'd lost nearly seven stone and at that point I was the the happiest best in my in my mental health because I felt you know I'd got control I'd I'd been eating a lot healthier because with food optimizing it, it as you know it, it concentrates on all of those just normal everyday ingredients less processed foods less sugar less fat and naturally the weight just dropped off but actually my pain levels came down and something that I can definitely say at that point I knew that losing weight had helped me to be in less pain have less symptoms I want to thank you so much Laura for for coming on today and talking so candidly about you know your condition and and how it's challenged you physically and and mentally and sharing that with with us um as we always do in our happiness hub podcast and and to leave it it's a bit like the summer of the week at the end of the session leaving on the high um <laughs> yes you're quite right this has been an unprecedented year for, for lots of us and it, there's always somebody better off and somebody worse off from you but yeah. what's been some of the highlights for you and well I'll narrow it down more. What's been making you happy this year in 2021? What's what's made you happy? What's been a bit of a highlight? Um, I think um, focusing on the future is something that is has really kept me going. So um, I've never owned a house in my life, and me and my partner have had the joy of looking um, for a house, mm-hmm. and we are just in the midst of waiting for searches and things to come back so that's been dead exciting um creating a bit of a bucket list as well I think you know this is something that a lot of people have been doing you know we can't do x y and z right now but if and when we can what would we love to do and it's it's allowing yourself to have that imagination and have that dream and that positivity you know not shooting yourself down saying yeah but I can't now and Maybe my pain's too high or whatever, you know, the thing might be that you're trying to stop yourself with. And it's like, but if you weren't scared and if you could, and if there was a way, what would you love doing? What what would that be? So, you know, traveling and places in, in England, you know, beaches and seaside resorts that I've never been to. And I'm like, do you know what? I'd love to go to Skegness. I've never been but do you know what somebody said to me the other day uh, one of my Slimmerville members uh, was going back there to visit his daughter and he said do you know what I absolutely love it he said and I couldn't be prouder to be from there and I said do you know what I went to university in Leicester and I still never went to Skeggy and it's like <laughs> right bucket list on you go who knew that you were going to find somebody with Skegness on the bucket list <laughs> 
No, that wasn't something that I ever thought I'd hear somebody say. <laughs> but I tell you what, it's saying about like going uh, on holiday in the UK, as our mutual friend Lynn said to me once, and I'll always remember this, she says, we live on a beautiful island. And she's absolutely right. I mean, even where we live, like I went up for a run yesterday um, up Congleton Edge and it's absolutely gorgeous up there. So anyway, yeah. I digress, but thank you ever so much. It was lovely to catch up with you as well because we haven't spoken or seen each other and I missed you when you, you popped around the other night. Even though it's virtually, it's nice, nice to see you. And um, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Third time lucky, maybe you could come on again and talk about something. Oh, I think I'm running out of material now. <laughs> I don't think you'll ever run out of material. Yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> but no, thank you so much for having me. And also just thank you for you know for everyone out there I know so many people that do listen to to yours and Liz's happiness Hub podcast and just the fact that you are raising awareness of things like this is just so important and I know obviously you've had that experience yourself with your own diagnosis with MS and it is brilliant to see somebody you know really going out there and doing something um to help people and help raise awareness and I, I don't think you realize quite how much good you are doing in the world so thank you <laughs> I think it's a small little corner of the world that we're doing it in so but it's it's not always nice to hear because we've got obviously our little happiness hub Facebook group and we try to put content out there every day about inspirational things and that we see and not we don't always get comments on it which is it's not there for people to constantly comment on it but occasionally someone pops up and says oh you know that post that you put up the other week it's a bit like a something more consultant when you say things to members and you think oh is anybody listening to me and then yeah. someone said oh you know what you said a couple of weeks ago about having like ham in the fridge or whatever it is I tried that and it's really worked uh, but yeah, I, I think it's really important um, to talk about these kind of things. And uh, we enjoy, Liz and I love doing the podcast anyway. We've met some absolutely amazing people. And, and going back to the superpower thing, you find that a lot of people who've had challenges with their physical or mental health have gone on to do something positive out of that situation, making it a positive experience rather than a, a negative one. And I think you're very much someone... I know we've shared a few lulls today while we've been talking about it, but you generally I find you a very positive sort of person and, and a good energy to be around. So thank, oh, you. thank you. You're listening to The Happiness Hub, part of the Redshift Community Podcast Network with me, Liz Parkin. And me, Kedron Elliott. Every episode, we'll share top tips on how to get happy and stay happy. So listen in, get involved and be happy. <laughs>